from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. The vast majority of us are able to hold it together. We fall through discipline well within that proverbial bell curve of normalcy. Unfortunately, there are some of us who aren't blessed with the skill and the discipline to be able to keep ourselves in the bell curve of normalcy all the time. Race-based divisiveness, gender-based, religion-based, socioeconomic-based. I mean, it drilled down to the point where it was intrafamilial. It affected the dinner table. Do I think justice was served? Yes, as a matter of, as a matter of legal course, justice was served. As a matter of personal opinion, I think that Jacob deserved a lot better. Less time. Yes, much less time. Eleven months in solitary confinement for behaving in a fashion which did not involve violence or uh, any planning or organizing or thievery or destruction. Um, no, he, he needed health care more than he needed further confinement. I'm Sarah Fenske. When an angry mob breached the U.S. Capitol one year ago today, the melee lasted only a few hours. But the repercussions have continued to ripple as months have turned into a year. More than 725 people have been charged for their actions that day. That's kept a lot of lawyers very, very busy. And few of them have been more outspoken and more controversial than Al Watkins. The Clayton attorney negotiated a plea deal for the horn-helmet-wearing, bare-chested Arizona a man known as the QAnon shaman, Jacob Chansley. And he joins us today to discuss what happened and what he learned in the process. Al Watkins, welcome. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Sarah. So, Al, let's start at the beginning. How does a lawyer based in Missouri end up representing a guy like Jacob Chansley? Well, when you have a, a horrific reputation that sometimes transcends the boundaries of the city of St. Louis, you end up with people who, uh, who know you. And those people sometimes end up in jail. And when they're in jail, they often talk to others who are confined and share with them their impressions and suggestions about who they should engage to represent them. That's what happened here. So your name is something that is passed around among the criminal element. Well, I make a point of putting my phone number on most bathroom walls and sometimes throwing my cards about indiscriminately in in men's rooms and stadiums throughout the country. I got to ask, do you think your representation of Mark McCloskey had something to do with this? I mean, you were on a lot of national talk shows there, coming out saying things that people are not used to hearing on national talk shows. Well, I I have shared with the world that I have social Tourette's. It's a disability, and it requires uh, discipline on my on my part. I fall short on my discipline from time to time and utter things which maybe some folks don't want to hear necessarily, but as an advocate, I feel very strongly should be heard. And so maybe that led you to the QAnon shaman. Or it maybe perhaps led him to me. Uh-huh. So that brings us to your representation of this guy. He really became the face, or maybe I should say the body, that embodied the storming of the Capitol. Do you think that was fair as far as his actual involvement went? No. What, what, once I got involved in drilling down on who Jacob Chansley really was, it became very clear to me that while the reality is he became, his face, his image became 
to the events of January 6th, what the swoosh is to Nike. And I've, I've said that before, but it's really true. He became the face of that day. And any story, whether it be uh, on the news or in publications or online, that had anything to do with January 6th and the events of that date, they would have an image of Jake. And when you drill down and you, you really find out who he is, what he's about, what his background was, you realize that was unfair. It mm. was unfair. And, and I've, I've told a number of people, and I, it's worthy of mentioning today, the events of January 6th have been likened to Pearl Harbor or 9-11. And in fact, as we look back at January 6th of last year, and the further we get away from that date, the more we're all going to realize and recognize that that day is the day all of us, you, me, and everyone in this country, was forced and compelled to start bellying up to the bar and owning their role, be it active or passive, in the events of, of January 6th and, and how we all collectively created an auger an environment so filled with divisiveness that January 6th became an event that was real. You think you blame this on divisiveness in America? That's what led people to storm the Capitol? Well, no, there's no simple explanation, but there's a combination of factors that we all have to factor in. We have to understand and recognize that we have a not insignificant percentage of our population they truly, for better or for worse, never felt like their voice had been heard. And we have a large number of people in our nation, in our brethren citizenry, in fact, perhaps all of us. I certainly speak for myself. We have our own mental health vulnerabilities. We all have them. The vast majority of us are able to hold it together. We're smart enough. We recognize what our triggers are. And we fall through discipline well within that proverbial bell curve of normalcy. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there are some of us who aren't blessed with the skill and the discipline to be able to keep ourselves in the bell curve of normalcy all the time. I don't speak for myself there. And so you have these, these folks that have no criminal background. They have no nefarious mindsets. They have no, no desire to be, to be destructive or violent in any way, shape, or form. But something happened that put them in a position where socio-stressors triggered in them the inability to maintain that normalcy within the bell curve of, no, of, of, of normalcy. You couple that with social media, the filling in of isolation created by society in general prior to the pandemic, and certainly accelerated and, and exacerbated during the pandemic. You have uh, a, 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 a charismatic figure. President Trump. President Trump, who not, not only from the date of the election when Biden was elected, but for years before that, had very skillfully targeted and spewed forth messages day in, day out, which were filled with mischaracterizations, untruths, uh, and sometimes just out and out lies. And this didn't happen every now and then. It happened daily, multiple times daily. 
And these factors all collectively combined with our country's divisiveness, race-based divisiveness, gender-based, religion-based, socioeconomic-based. I mean, it drilled down to the point where it was intrafamilial. It affected the dinner table. Mm -hmm. And all of these things combined to create this horrible, horribly fertile agar so that on January 6th, when hundreds of thousands of individuals tramped into D.C. and hung out of the ellipse, they were motivatable. Mm -hmm. They were vulnerable. And they'd maybe already been motivated. The oh, very certainly. fact they were there. Yeah. You're saying they were primed for this. Yeah, well, they were primed for it. They were invited. They truly believed that they were there at the special instance and calling of their president. They were there to save our nation, help our president to save our country. And we have to realize these are our neighbors. They are our friends, our co-workers, our colleagues, sometimes our relatives. And but for all this collective combination of, of triggers, they wouldn't be there. So you think we should have sympathy for Jacob Chansley, even though he stormed in there wearing his, his crazy helmet, his fur, all of this stuff. This was somebody who uh, society had acted upon him. And President Trump, you're saying, had acted upon him, um, spurring him to this action. Well, I, I, I don't want to say that people with mental health vulnerabilities are not accountable for their actions. And in fact, with Jacob Chansley, there's more to the story that makes it even more persuasive. Jacob Chansley was, was in the military in 2006. He was on the USS Kitty Hawk. He went to the doctor on the ship presented in a fashion which gave rise to a mental health diagnosis. That was a serious personality disorder that was diagnosed. This is years before. This was 2006. Our government diagnosed Jake. And rather than tell Jake about his diagnosis, the only issue at hand was, are you fit for duty? Oh, you have a mental health vulnerability of significance, but we're not going to tell you about it. But we are going to tell you you're fit for duty. And that's what happened. So from 2006 to 2021, 15 years, Jake had an opportunity to get help and to seek the professional care that, quite frankly, he, he could have gotten, would have gotten, and should have gotten. But he didn't. That was 15 years during which he was, and he's a very intelligent young man, very gentle, very bright. He chose as best he could to navigate what he knew. He knew there was something wrong. Mm -hmm. And then 15 years later, he's sitting in solitary confinement. Somebody the government knows has a mental health vulnerability. Just unfortunately, it was the military part of the government and not the Department of Justice. They weren't talking to each other. Right. And of course, I'm certainly not armed to be a mental health care professional. I'm the one who needs to go to the mental health care professional. And interestingly, our Bureau of Prisons isn't armed. Our Department of Justice isn't armed. Our courts aren't armed. So when I sat and watched my client in solitary confinement, day in, day out for months, waste away before my eyes. And nobody would listen to me. Nobody would, nobody would address the fact that there was a mental health issue at play. Interestingly, all it took was one 
carefully crafted, vulgar, inappropriate quote, well-placed for maximum disclosure to garner within 24 hours mental health care that my client needed, a psych evaluation ordered by the court, and steps and immediate measures take to be taken to to save my client from the proverbial mental abyss. So, Al, I'm glad you brought up this vulgar quote because I feel that we do need to address this today. These are some comments you made to Talking Points Memo, and these are some very offensive descriptions. I can't read them as direct quotes because they contain expletives, uh, but I'm going to give the, the gist of your words and some words that normally I would not use on the radio. You described the rioters as short bus people. You said the rioters are people with brain damage. They're, quote, retarded mm-hmm. and on the spectrum. Yeah. W- what were you thinking by using those words. All right, so for five and a half months, I had broached the subject matter of mental health issues in politically correct and calm and touchy-feely ways with the Department of Justice, the Assistant U.S. Attorney, the Bureau of Prisons, the warden of the facility at which my client was being held, with the judge, the court. I did all that I could, and that touchy-feely, politically correct, let-me-hold-your-hand-and-sing-kumbaya methodology did not work. But interestingly, all you need in this world where we're living with people who get their news from their phone, where they read the headlines, and if the headline doesn't spur them to read the next two sentences, they're not reading anything, I was able to garner immediate attention, and I was asked on CNN, do you want to take that back? And I'll say to you what I said to the international news world. No, I didn't want to. I didn't choose to. I don't use these words because they gave me some sense of jolly. I had a client who was dying. And the methodology that was being employed that our systems have in place didn't work. And none of us are armed to deal with mental health care mental health issues, in a world where mental health issues are shrouded in secrecy because, oh my God, it's terrible. I don't want people to know that I have a problem. Well, let me tell you something. To the world, I got problems, lots of them, and I'm not embarrassed about it. None of us should be. We should be able to ask for help and care, and our nation, you, me, and everybody else, for people with mental health vulnerabilities that were involved in January 6th, and there are a lot of them, They need compassion. They need patience. And I'm not armed to give it to them. I'm an advocate, but I can advocate for compassion, and I can advocate for patience. And I told the judge at sentencing for Jake that Jake taught me a lot. He's a bright man. And these these are people who do wonderful things for the world. Do I regret that I hurt people in the process? Yeah. But it was interesting, the feedback that I got immediately after that quote went public was horrendous. And it was certainly not favorable. But once it became clear what I was doing, and once the diagnosis of Jake was reconfirmed in 2021, and once the explanation for the basis of doing it came out, I garnered a remarkable amount of support from the individuals, the very individuals who wanted to string me up by my nether regions. 
We're talking today to Al Watkins. He's the Clayton attorney who represents or represented the QAnon shaman, Jacob Chansley, went viral for some very impolitic remarks he made. He's saying there's method to his madness. This is what worked. This is what got your client out of solitary confinement. And it got him health care. Most importantly, it got him mental health care. Hmm. And so what it takes in the world is not a well-crafted brief or working behind the scenes with a U.S. attorney. It takes a quote that goes so viral that people can't ignore it. Well, that they can't ignore it. The Bureau of Prisons can't ignore it. The Department of Justice right up the chain of command can't ignore it. The U.S. District Court can't ignore it. And indeed, the judge in the black robe, very learned man, very experienced man, he couldn't ignore it. So, Al, you, even before all this happened and you're dealing with the national media, you were a pro at dealing with the local media, and you are frequently doing these kind of things to get attention to your client, and there's get attention for your client. There's a lot of talk in town about does this do more help or does this do more harm? Is this is this giving Al a profile or is this actually helping his clients? Well, that's a really good point. So, you know, the vast majority, and by that I mean 99-plus percent of my cases, are handled in a fashion which does not involve... The media does not involve publicity, does not involve anything high profile. When you have cases, though, that call for and mandate the shifting of a dialogue, a national dialogue, a local dialogue, uh, that is, is the type of case that you cannot serve your client by saying no comment. Because gone are those days. You don't serve your client by looking at the media, local, national, international, and saying, oh, no comment. We'll talk later. Oh, we're not trying the case in the media. The fact of the matter is, you serve your client as an advocate. And when you're a lawyer, your duty is to your client. So when there is media attention and when they see the high-profile stuff, people think, oh, it's somebody just trying to garner attention. No. There's method behind the madness. You're correct. And it's the exception, not the rule. Hmm. So Jacob Chansley ended up getting 41 months yes. in this sentence that you helped him uh, do the plea bargain for. Do you feel like justice was served by that? And do you feel mm. like your tactics helped him to a good sentence? Or was that that was a tough sentence? Well, yeah. Um, so there's a bunch of ways to answer that. In my own pompous, egotistical, and self-centered way, I want to share with you that um, do I think justice was served? Yes, as a matter of, as a matter of legal course, justice was served. As a matter of personal opinion, I think that Jacob deserved a lot better. Less time. Uh, yes, much less time. I believe that 11 months in solitary confinement for behaving in a fashion which do did not involve violence or uh, any planning or organizing or thievery or destruction. Um, no, he, he needed health care more than he needed further confinement. But I don't make the decision. The, the guy in the black robe does. And when Jake first came into my care as a lawyer, the government wanted consecutive sentences of 20 years on two felony counts. Ultimately, we ended up with a plea deal that permitted, as a matter of public record, a range of sentencing to be submitted to the court between 41 and 51 months with my authority under federal law to argue for a sentence beneath the minimum of the federal sentencing guidelines. And that took quite a bit of negotiating, and it could not have been undertaken and completed favorably for my client until and unless there was an appreciation by the courts and the Department of Justice 
uh, for that mental health care issue. Hmm. And as a result, the outcome was one which, yeah, it was a 41-month sentence. There was an 11-month service credit for the 11 months he had been in confinement. That would have been 31 months remaining under the sentencing. With the federal sentencing, truth in sentencing, he would have done 84.9% of it. He would have been home uh, before Thanksgiving of 2023, just in time for a problem with the next election. There you go. So he is now appealing this sentence. He's using that old chestnut, which is very common in these cases where he's saying he had ineffective counsel, and that's why he signed off on this. Do you feel any, um, I don't know, do you feel insulted by the fact that he's playing the ineffective counsel card? No, I, I don't at all. In fact, you know, I, I wish him nothing but the best. Um, when I say that he is a gentle, intelligent, really kind man, I mean that. And I mean that as genuinely as I have ever meant anything in my life. It may not mean much to my, many, but, but for me it's, it's uh, not something I say routinely. I will tell you also that if there's one thing that raises my ire is when those who are vulnerable are exploited. Jake was exploited in 2006. By the military. By being fit for duty, but not being told about the diagnosis. I believe that Jake was exploited over the course of the period leading up to the events of January 6th. I believe that Jake was exploited by the national media, international media, any media at all, social media. because of his inextricable link as an image to the events of January 6th. I believe he was exploited by the Department of Justice who mischaracterized him, who he was. He wasn't a leader. It took the government nine months to finally admit to the court that, well, no, he wasn't a planner, he wasn't an organizer, he wasn't a a violent man, he wasn't a soul of combative, destructive. Nine months while he's in solitary confinement. So... I think that at the end of the day, what really gets me going is the fact that there is somebody out there who got in Jake's ear after the sentencing where Jake was under oath. He, he, he knew what he was pleading everything, to. I mean, Jake was completely just a, a, one of the most stunning performances of any defendant in front of a judge that I've ever seen. I've been doing this for just shy of four decades. That, and I won't use the word, but it gets me going. That his lawyer convinced him to file this appeal of the sentence he knew he was doing. Actually, unethically, he was not my client's lawyer at the time that he interacted with my client. That's a whole And he's now representing him. Correct. Well, Al Watkins, this has been such an interesting chapter in American history, and I appreciate you joining us today to discuss it. It's my pleasure. Great to see you again. And Al is a partner in the Clayton firm, Codner Watkins. Today's episode was produced by Sarah Fenske, with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And 
leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.